The following audio is from First Hamilton Christian Reformed Church, where our vision is to be transformed by the gospel so that we can participate with God in his work of renewing all things in Christ. For more information about First Hamilton, visit www.firsthamilton.ca. Have you ever taken a really good, long look at yourself in the mirror? Like, not just standing there checking to make sure all that your hairs are in place, that your clothes sit right, just to stand there and look, to stare at yourself. The longer you look, perhaps the more uncomfortable you become, because very few of us could approach the mirror with the confidence of the fawns and simply look and say, hey. Because the longer we look at ourselves, the longer we pay close detail to every part of our body, we begin to notice each and every imperfection. The little things that in passing no one could possibly see, we begin to zero in on. And that's perhaps why we don't do this often. We don't take 10, 15, 20 minutes out of our day just to stare at ourselves in the mirror because we want to avoid too much of that introspection, too much of that looking at ourselves, looking at that truthful reflection of who we are, everything, the good, the bad. And perhaps we even go out of our way to actively avoid showing the bad. One of the constant criticisms of social media is that everyone on there is really only trying to show the best of the best of themselves, their best day, their best outfit, in the best lighting with the right filters, because we want to hide our true selves from the world around us. So we make sure that we put our best foot forward no matter what, pushing away anything that could bring criticism, uncomfortableness, anything we are insecure of. We're not unique if you feel that way. You're just like everyone else. But introspection is good. Personal reflection, self-analysis, these are all things that we are encouraged to do for, for our benefit, to take stock of who we are, to take stock of that good, take stock of the bad, and to analyze it, to look for ways to improve. And improvement is the context into which we find our scripture. For Paul in chapter 3 here, starting in verse 7, he talks about this new covenant that we have. For he says, if the ministry has brought death, and here he talks about the law, the law of Moses, those rules and regulations that we find that tell Israel how to live, he says, if the ministry that brought death which is engraved in letters of stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily on the face of Moses because of its glory. Transistory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry which brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison to the surpassing glory. And if what was transistory came with glory, how much greater is the glory which lasts? 
Paul lays out a couple if-then statements here. For if the law was still glorious, even though it did nothing for its people in bringing life and righteousness, if they could not keep it, but there was still so much glory that Moses' face shone, how much better is the ministry of Jesus, in which we don't have to fulfill any law, but are still counted as righteousness? Because the law was, of course, perfect. There was nothing wrong with it but we as people were unable to fully fulfill it. Hence, the law only resulted in death and condemnation. And so in looking back on what was, Paul anticipates that there is something better, that something better was coming because the law could not possibly be the end. And that better has arrived in Jesus. Jesus' death and sacrifice made it so that we did not have to keep the law because he kept it. And how much more glorious is that? And so Paul continues, Therefore, since we, since we have such a hope, this hope that Jesus has fulfilled the law and that his sacrifice was sufficient so that we do not have to live up to that standard, we are very bold. And what is this boldness that Paul talks about? It's the boldness to approach God. For we have a new access to God through Jesus. For if you look through the Old Testament, the presence of God was kept in first the tabernacle and then the temple in the Holy of Holies, behind door after door, behind a thick veil, which the high priest could only go in once a year with the blood of a lamb. God was inaccessible. And you only approached God with great fear and trembling. For tradition says that, that when the high priest would go in that once a year on the Day of Atonement, they would tie a rope around his ankle so in case he was not fully purified, in case the sacrifice was not up to the standard of God's and he dropped dead in the presence of God, they could at least pull him out without risking anyone else going in. That practice is the opposite of boldness. It is full of fear and apprehension, shying away from who God really is because he is so holy, there is no way we can approach him. But through Jesus, we are bold. Paul asks us then to remember Moses. Moses was the only one who could meet with God. Even then, he could not do it face to face. But by standing in the presence of God, his face shone. It reflected that glory of God outwards. But Paul says that it was the hardness of Israel's heart, their willingness to disobey, to rebel, that they could not stand the presence because they knew or perhaps didn't know what made them so uncomfortable was their own sin prevented them from entering into the presence of God, even the reflective glow on Moses. And so Moses hid his face not only for their sake, because they could not bear to look at him, but Moses was also embarrassed. Because as he spent time away from God, the glow would fade. And so he feared that the people would not listen to him if they did not think that he was really speaking for God. The glow, the veil, became the symbol of Moses' authority. And so Moses hid behind that veil so that they would not see his face fade. But Paul continues to say that this veil has been lifted by Jesus' death. We can have uninterrupted communion with God. The glow no longer fades because his spirit is present in our lives. 
We can approach God with confidence. We don't need to have a fail-safe tied around our ankle to pull us back because we are counted righteous by the new covenant that Jesus instituted. And so we can approach God. And in approaching God, these are the upward rhythms that Pastor Hayden talked about last week. Coming to God to know Him, to be in relationship with Him, to understand and to draw close. There is no veil by virtue of the Spirit. And Paul finishes this little excursion by talking that we can behold the glory of God. And we, who with unveiled faces contemplate or behold or reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We are being transformed when we are in the presence of God. We are made new. We are renewed. But to what are we being transformed for? Perhaps it is the redemption of our creational vocation, our ability to care appropriately for the earth, to be co-creators, to add our own unique stamp on the flourishing of creation. Like in the original intention of the garden for Adam and Eve to be caretakers co-creators, stewards. It is this Christ-likeness that we are looking to grow through these rhythms of life. For this whole sermon series is about understanding how God has called us to model our lives after Jesus. And as we look upwards, as we look upwards and are drawn into the presence of God, unimpeded by any veil, we are naturally drawn inwards. For every Sunday, we come, we are greeted by God, we are called into worship, which precipitates a time of confession because we know that we are not quite up to snuff. And so as we continue to look on God, we are drawn inwards. And the inward rhythms that Alistair Stern talks about, their purpose is to see ourselves more clearly. And this is not about finding the real you hidden behind the broken sinful. This is not a secret identity that we simply need to tear off our masks, tear away the veil, and there's someone completely new and unrecognizable. No, you are still you. But it's asking God to help us see ourselves more clearly, to sharpen the image. And so our boldness enables us to approach God to ask him to help us discover his creation. But of course, as the image gets sharper, as who we are comes more clearly into focus, we start to see those imperfections all the more. You take the good, you take the bad, you take them both, and there you have the facts of life. But our tendency to shy away from the bad comes from a deep, dark place sometimes. For we all have this innate desire to be loved unconditionally, to be known. We want someone who knows us truly and can hold us even when we fall short, but that will still love us unconditionally. But out of fear of being known that well, we hide the parts of ourselves that we don't think measure up. Fear of rejection causes us to hold back in our relationships. 
So we only put the best that we can forward, keeping the ugly behind. But when we come into the presence of God, it calls us to account. It brings us into confession as we come more aware and saddened by the sin in our lives. Ruth Haley Barton, in her book Sacred Rhythm, says, the process of being conformed to the image of Christ, that Christ-likeness that we so strive for, it takes place right at the moment of our unlikeness to Christ. Because if you are pruning a plant, you start with the most dead branches, the most dead leaves, the things that are in decay that just suck the energy from the plant that it cannot sustain. I love in C.S. Lewis's Voyage of the Dawn Shredder, where the boy Eustace finds a dragon hoard. He takes the gold, lies in the jewels and gems, and puts on all the finery he can. He takes a nap on his newfound wealth. And when he wakes up, He's no longer a boy, but he is a greedy dragon, covered in hard scales, unrecognizable to his friends, but unable to turn away from the greed that consumed his heart. And as he looks into the water, he sees not a young, frightened boy, but a great, angry dragon staring back at him. And he weeps. He sees his imperfection. He comes face to face with his sin, and he is broken by it. And this is when he meets Aslan, the lion, the Christ figure of the Chronicles of Narnia. And in order to be free of this sin, in order to be made new, it's going to hurt. Aslan has to dig his claws deep into Eustace and rip the dragon scales from him. Time and time again, the powerful claws of the lion tear away the brokenness, the sin in his life. Until the boy Eustace is found again. It's uncomfortable. It's downright terrifying to come face to face with God and to have him reveal our imperfections the dead parts of our lives, the scaly parts of our lives that prevent us from getting close to God and one another, the things that we put, that cover up the new creation who God has really created us to be. We're still us, but we need a little bit of work. In the Psalms, David puts these words down for us. In Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, he says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me to the way everlasting. Our inward rhythms are not so much about knowing ourselves, but asking God to show us how he knows us asking God to search us. But of course, he knows us perfectly. He knows us wholly. There is no secret that we can possibly keep from God. So when we ask God to search us, we are asking him to lead us in a search of ourselves, to show us those areas that need to be pruned, that need to be stripped away. Our upward rhythms lead us in search of God coming to know him better, but it's our inward rhythms that ask God to search ourselves so that we might know us better. 
know who we were created to be, to know all the gifts, the talents, the personalities, the virtues, the roles, our true life's vocation. We ask God to unveil this, and the unveiling process requires a bit of pruning work. This is the person that God created you to be, now fully realized. So how do we do this? How do we take this boldness into our day, into our week, into our months, into our entire life to come face to face with the glory of God and be transformed into his image by the Spirit? We can start by reflecting on our day, to take a moment in the evening or perhaps early in the morning the next day after you've had an opportunity to sleep on it, and to look back and see where was God present? How did I respond to him? Or perhaps I knew he was there, but I ignored him because I had something else to do. It's this process of self-examination, to reflect, to look back and see the areas that need a little bit more pruning because we tried to hide that from God. It also involves taking stock of your gifts. How have you stewarded them this week? Are you using the gifts that God has given you? Are they glorifying him? Perhaps there is something new that you didn't know about yourself before that God has unveiled and uncovered in this week. I had no idea that I could pray so well. God really uncovered this new administrative gift. I didn't know I could be so organized. We were in a team meeting and no one was stepping up and I just felt inspired to lead. And we had a great and productive idea session. Taking time to reflect on our day doesn't just have to be about uncovering the bad, but the good that God is also growing in your life. And it can be surprising. Like this morning, I looked at our vine that has been growing over this sermon series, and there's a little purple flower just starting to poke out. I had no idea this plant was capable of it. But that's so beautiful to be surprised by the wonders of God's creation. And this doesn't have to be an independent exercise. Our inward rhythms, true, are about us and who we are, but sometimes we need to ask for help because self-reflection, self-examination, it can be daunting and we can spiral into the endless depths of introspection and can uncover things that actually aren't there or don't even exist. So it's good to ask for help a good friend, a spouse, a mentor, a counselor, or a therapist, someone that can guide you through the uncovering of your heart, that can be the voice of God when we can't seem to hear him in any other way. It provides us an ear for confession, to expose that sin and a kind face and voice to encourage us to live after God. Because part of this transformation experience. Part of these inward rhythms is about confronting the bad, but working through it. We have boldness to embrace the fact that we are a work in progress. We acknowledge, but we do not affirm that brokenness in our lives. We truly say, this is me right now. This is the good, this is the bad, and I'm working on it. But we can still be proud of where we have come, 
as we are allowing the Spirit to reveal, to uncover and renew that full picture of what God's glory is like in our lives. So our inward rhythms ask us to acknowledge those areas of sin, to embrace the transformation and to celebrate God's glory as you move closer to living a life of Christ-likeness. Because we are all going to be a work in progress. None of us is ever going to finish this transformation in our time here on earth. We don't have the time, we don't have the capacity, but we have the promise. We have the hope from Jesus that it will be completed when he comes again. When Christ returns, bringing heaven down to earth, all these little glimpses that we've had, the peaks behind the veil of God's glory, the veil will be completely torn away, the hardness of our hearts softened, and we will be fully transformed and renewed. It cannot be accomplished apart from God because it is for His glory that we are being transformed. And so we look ahead, knowing that as eternal works in progress, it feels like, that for all of our lives as we continue to prune away and uncover the new areas of God's glory, we know that the job will be finished. And for that, we are so immensely thankful. So as you go into this week, I would encourage you to not be afraid to stare in the mirror, to take good stock of yourself and to reflect because even if you don't like what you see, this is not the forever you, for you are being continually renewed and transformed by the Spirit for the glory of God by virtue of Jesus' sacrifice and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives.